Villainous, a Good Omens fan fiction, written by Ineffable Penguin, read aloud by Sky Simaru. If you enjoy this podfic, you can check out the original story on archive of our own. If you would like to hear more of my recordings or see some of my own work, you can find me through the pen and screen name of Sky Asimaru. Villainous. Chapter 4. Confidants. What a ridiculous man, Crow thought later that night, lying on his back in bed with arms tucked behind his head. Thunder crackled over the tower, punctuated by the occasional flash of lightning through the tightly shuttered window. He liked storms. Usually he found them soothing and was quick to be lulled to sleep by the pattering rain. But tonight he was still wide awake. He hadn't been able to get the strange encounter out of his mind all day. The prince hadn't acted anything like a noble, hadn't acted like anyone he had ever met, really. How did someone raised by the royalty end up like that? Clearly I need to go out more, if this is what I'm wasting time thinking about. He scoffed and closed his eyes, but he could see Prince Azra's face there, too, etched onto the inside of his eyelids, with those grey-blue eyes and cheery smile. And what the hell are you doing there? Crow cast his mind back and analyzed the memory, and irritably concluded that there was definitely, positively, absolutely no reason at all why that face should linger. Not even a particularly striking face, really. Pretty, sure, but all princes are pretty. It's mandatory. But the way he'd smiled at him. Ah, don't be stupid, he said aloud, eyes still shut. He talked to himself a lot, out of habit. He's your enemy. You are never going to see him again. It doesn't even bear thinking on, and that's that. With that riveting motivational speech, he gave a firm nod, rolled himself over into his blanket, and shut his eyes tighter. Twenty unsleepy minutes later, he was no closer to drifting off. He rolled onto his back again. He huffed and crossed his arms. This was ridiculous. Sleeping was not something he struggled with, ever. He was good at sleeping. Could sleep anywhere at all, at the drop of a hat. Master of sleeping, he was. The master of sleeping opened his eyes again and glared up at the canopy ceiling. He conjured a handful of sparks and tossed them carelessly into the air with a flick of his wrist. They scattered in a flat tableau above him, and the points of light settled into the familiar patterns of stars in the sky outside. It was a childhood exercise, meant to relax the mind and practice fine-tuning your control. The idea was to create 
as many constellations as you could remember before you grew too tired and drifted off. It usually worked. Tonight he picked out the hound, the black chariot, the queen, before realizing he was still not growing any sleepier. He extinguished the lights with a disgusted wave of his hand. His bed was usually one of his favorite places to be, soft and deep, with loads of pillows, but tonight it felt too small and cramped. He flopped over onto one side, then onto his stomach. The sheets were too hot. He stuck a foot out from under the covers and was promptly cold. I'll curse it! He threw off the satin coverlet with a growl and rolled ungracefully out of bed, shoving the curtains aside. The night air was warm despite the rain. He'd gone to bed without any clothes on, so he pulled on a pair of loose-fitting cotton breeches that tied at the waist before scuffing his barefoot way across the bedroom floorboards. He didn't bother with a light. His feet knew where they were going, even in the dark. He trotted out the door and down the unlit staircase, round and round with a hand on the banister, counting each turn until he hit the fifth floor. Whenever he was restless or had something on his mind, it was his habit to go and tend to his garden, not the one outside at the base of the tower, the henbane and hemlock and other poison ingredients with their antidotes. Those were all outside for a reason, very visible and on display for anyone who might come snooping around. He had Haster sell those plants for a tidy profit once a month at the Pandemonium Marketplace, along with the fallen hero's wares, and he really couldn't have cared less about them. No, this floor was entirely taken up by another garden, his own personal garden, that the council and all of Apollyon would have certainly sneered at. It was Crow's refuge, his own private guilty pleasure, and he kept the door securely locked with magic. No one else had ever been allowed in. Crow released the magical ward now, let himself in, and shut the door firmly behind him. A wave of his hand lit the sconces sunk into the walls, chunks of clear polished stone, that glowed with a steady white light, soft enough not to dazzle, racing out and away from him through the circular hallway of a room. It was like stepping into another world. The room was an extravagance of green and vivid color. Flowers of every possible shape and size bloomed everywhere. Here you could find roses the size of pumpkins in purple and sunset oranges, there daisies in a pink so brilliant it glowed in the dim light, orchids in velvety blue-black, pots of turquoise green ferns with deep violet stripes, and long planter boxes 
of sunny yellow anemones tipped in violet. Huge, silver-edged mirrors were set at intervals around the room to catch and send sunlight to the inner recesses, expanding what little came through the narrow windows and allowing him to grow things even in dark corners. Yawning, oh, now he was sleepy, of course. He rubbed a hand through his untidy shoulder-length hair and picked up a small metal watering pot. The room was so stuffed with plants that there wasn't much space to walk. But luckily for him, he was just a skinny streak of a man and didn't need much space. He prowled between the work tables, whistling as he went and keeping a sharp eye out for leaf rot. The cool, damp air raised goosebumps on his bare chest and arms. When he was a child, he'd found a book on enhanced botany crammed away in the very back corner of his father's magical library, a pre-war relic stuffed with all kinds of fascinating forgotten spells. <laughs> Prissy hobby magic, father had sneered when Crow showed it to him. Beneath any necromancer, and far beneath any son of mine. Useless for daily life, or battle, or anything else that sorcerers valued, and therefore a waste of anyone's time. It would probably have been destroyed outright, if not for the fact that anything at all from the glory days was preserved as sacrosanct. Entranced, Crow had smuggled the book out under his shirt, knowing it would never be missed, and paged through it alone at night when everyone else had gone to bed. A few practiced spells, done carefully and in secret, of course, had revealed that he actually had quite a knack for the art. That, and a secret, unacceptable weakness for beautiful, living things, one that had bloomed just as quickly as the flowers he coaxed from vines out of season, from patches of ordinary grass and shrubbery around his childhood home whenever he thought he could get away with it. By now, he knew the entire book, backwards and forwards. It was where he had found the magic to grow his protective thorny hedge, not as useless as all that, as it turned out, not with just a drop of imagination. But then the other sorcerers all had the imagination of a dead tree stump. Intelligence of a brick! The snippet of conversation surfaced from his memory, and he smirked. Funny, that. <laughs> there isn't any reason at all to keep thinking about him, he muttered to a cluster of light purple lilacs as he watered them, picking up where he had left off in his bedroom. So he isn't a completely violent, pompous ass. That doesn't make him special. Only eccentric. The lilac's silence seemed judgmental to him. He scoffed and whirled towards the row of speckled orchids on the next table. They were usually more sympathetic. He's guaranteed to be a complete prat once you get to know him for more than a minute. 
Not that I want to get to know him. I'd probably have to kill him if I ever saw him again. Best thing for everyone, really. He sprinkled a few drops of water over the soil. Not too much. The orchid said nothing. It just sat there, skeptically. Go shut up! He shoved its glazed pot aside. You'd probably like him, now that I think about it. You're fussy, too. I could kill you right now, with just a bit too much water. How would you like that? The orchid did not deign to reply. Fussy. That's exactly how Azra had seemed. Ridiculous and kind and fussy. Not at all like the arrogant, bloodthirsty blockheads he usually encountered. Weirdly trusting and cheerful, too. Apologized for threatening me, if you can believe it. I even smiled at me. He confided to the white rose bush as he pinched off dead flower buds. Don't know what that was about. Probably walks around smiling at the trees and rocks, too. Or maybe he was drunk. He paused and glanced at a particularly large and confident-looking white rose to his right, petals almost touching his cheek. Yeah, I know he didn't look drunk. He scoffed and took hold of the flower, cupping it gently in his hand. <laughs> You're getting too full of yourself. Ferulia. The rose quivered and slowly, from the stem up, flushed a rich red. All over the bush trembled as others changed too, color flooding the petals like ink bleeding through fresh paper. Not all of them. Maybe one in three. He hadn't been focusing hard enough. He briefly considered changing the rest, but decided he liked the variety. Let the red ones stand as a warning to the others. That rosebush seemed to have learned its lesson, so he moved on to the primroses. Didn't look like he enjoyed that armor, either. <laughs> Bloody Northlanders. Who knows why they had him guarding that stupid door at all? Not my problem. If he wastes his time doing that, then all the better. He completed the circuit around the rest of the room, watering here and testing soil there. Everyone else seemed to be behaving today, luckily for them. Back where he started, he put the watering can down and dragged a hand across his eyes with a weary sigh. Fine. The unfortunate fact of the matter was that something about Prince Azra had hit him like a battering ram in a way he couldn't quantify or remember a person ever doing before. Fine. But so what if it had? Curse it, he had been interesting and unexpected. Two things that never failed to fascinate him and spark his curiosity. It had been such a long time since anyone surprised him. And pretty, too. Don't forget that. He whirled on the nearest flower, a rather startled-looking yellow daffodil, with a snarl. I didn't ask you, did I? He growled and braced his hands on the table, 
and glared at the neat row of irritatingly cheerful daisies sitting there. There was no point in finding him fascinating. You'll never see Azra again, he told himself firmly, and that is a good thing. And when had he started thinking of him as just Azra? He left the room. He shut and locked the door firmly behind him. Don't be stupid, he muttered to himself again, yawning as he ascended the echoing stairs back to his waiting bed. <sighs> Your life does not need complications. No one's worth that kind of trouble, especially not some pampered Epirion prince who's bound to be horrible in some way or another. If there was one thing he knew, down to his very marrow, it was that people were usually disappointing. End of chapter four. Thank you for reading. Please drop by the archive and let the author know what you thought of their work.